Do we need to <clears throat> do we need to have some centering prayer to bring you <laughs> to bring, bring you back? me to center? <laughs> no. I'll Let's take good. a deep breath. Ooh. All right. Okay. I've been hydrating. Now. Ah, me too. <laughs> do you like my cup? It has my name on it. Can you see? Wait, I know it's really yeah. shiny. Oh there. Oh yeah, it's pretty. Pretty, uh, it's my bride. It was my bridesmaid cup. Nice. Okay. <clears throat> so, so I have a doozy for today. Oh, sounded like it. I'm <laughs> also I'm Carolyn. <laughs> Hi, Carolyn. I'm Faith. Nice Your Faith. You. I know. <laughs> and this is Faith Forward with open minds and open hearts. Yes. We'll get that one day. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so I we today, got it there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're right. You're right. Okay. So yes, I did send you some shocking material <laughs> to review last night, and we will get to that. I'll be because, curious where you're going with that. Yeah, because honestly, it was uh, <laughs> it was a like a thought I had the day before, and I thought, oh, I'll just give faith an idea of what we're going to talk about tomorrow. And then as I wrote it out, I was like, this sounds insane. There's no <laughs> way she can prep for this unless I show her the video that I watched. So um, we're going to talk about um, reincarnation um, and twins and um, transgender. And that is all going to maybe come together right. as one topic if you can believe it. But so for a trigger warning, I'm going to just say for anybody, this will involve infant loss at some point. So <clears throat> do you want to speak uh, before we go into that juice? Do you want to speak about what we were listening to the other night? Oh, sure. I can uh, speak about that a little bit. So you and I both attended a lecture that was hosted by the free thinkers of Fairfield County, I believe. And humanists. Humanists and free thinkers of Fairfield County. Yeah. Right. Um, anyhow, it was uh, a lecture given by a professor, um, and I can't remember what specifically, um, but he, he analyzes a lot of data sets in regards to um, psychology and sociology. Um, and the topic was um psychology and dogmatic delusions the psychology of dogmatic delusions so it had a lot of very interesting what? i had to look up what dogmatic meant which feels okay. like something i should have known being in a religious world yeah but i thought dog you know what the only reference i have to that word is that movie dogma mm. like with matt damon where they're like angels and they've fallen and they're shooting people. I don't know. <laughs> it's like a really, that's where the symbol of Buddy Christ came from. Oh gosh, I it, don't know this. That's all right. <laughs> we should watch that. We should watch that together and review it. Um, but it, it, it kind of plays on the contradictions of religion and stuff. But dogma, I thought meant religious, but and I, I honestly couldn't even tell you what it meant now. Does it mean uh, non-religious? No, it, it doesn't. I, I think it's it's more of um, you like a firm, a very uh, particular way of viewing things. So a lot of times you'll hear the term religious dogma. 
And so that means yes. like, like, you know, uh, would be referring to probably a lot of fundamentalist ideas. Um, people who take their religion very seriously and try to um, place it onto other people and expect other people to also follow it. And that's a really bad definition. I'm sure there's a better definition out there, but yeah. It's fine. We accept. Yeah. So we were, um, it was like two hours. Did mm -hmm. you make it to the end? I did. You did? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. Yeah. I, the first hour was you really, really good. And you, I, you left really close to the end. You almost made it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because the first <clears throat> part was like, great. And it set up this idea like, okay, we're going to talk about, um, what it what these extreme believers like how their brain works which is something i wanted to know so bad I know. the first half was nice and clear and then the second half it was like cutting in and out like i was losing service and so somebody would ask like an, an amazing question or they would leave out one word that i i lost the context of the question or they'd get this awesome question and then it would be like eh, uh, e, ah. so i never heard oh. the answer oh that's a bummer so i was getting yeah, I was getting frustrated because I couldn't, the only thing I got from the second half was it's important to, because I think one of the questions was, how do we talk to our, how do we talk to people who are fundamentalists, like who are so extreme in their belief, mm -hmm. um, if they're not going to change, right? And, mm -hmm. and so I think they said, find people or so that we don't become like them on the other side of things. Mm -hmm. And I think the answer was, <clears throat> Find people you can disagree with respectfully. Yeah. Find people that you can can disagree with, who you are willing to listen to, who you both have a mutual respect, and you can disagree, um, and and learn from each other. I mean, willing to learn from each other. Yeah, that was. I think that was the main point, Carolyn. You picked up on the. <laughs> the good oh, good. Yeah. I didn't miss it then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was really good. Yeah, he was saying, you know, that's how you keep from being dogmatic is you do engage with people of opposing views, but you know, you do have to find somebody that you respect who holds that opposing yeah. view because there are plenty of people you probably, you know, that you're like, yeah, I, I can't even listen to them because I don't respect who they are, or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, was good. Yeah. And he, he also, I think the very last uh, question somebody um, brought up was about how to engage with people who hold dogmatic beliefs, um, just to, to engage with them and try to, to help them open up to another way of seeing things. Um, and he, his, his response was, well, that's a really tricky question and a really hard one. And his, his bit of advice was to try to engage people on things that they just enjoy and just get to know them personally. And that's really the only way you, mm -hmm. you can maybe then, and then don't bring up what you don't agree on, but just simply get to know them as a person. And then maybe it might come up and you guys can have a, an open, honest conversation from there. Um, so they're it's kind of just the way it is. Yeah. You can't really force somebody to believe what you believe and the coming to that acknowledgement is sometimes hard. I have this friend on Facebook who he is a gay married man, been with his spouse for decades, and he was, I think, a social worker. I don't know. I'm super close, but um, he's always posting very um, political, liberal, um, independent 
democratic type things, social justice things. And he has this guy named Dennis that comments on every post with some crappy thing to say. I've never met Dennis. I don't know Dennis. But as soon as I see my friend post like something or share something, I'm like, where's Dennis? And <laughs> it's coming. like become really it's it's become this like running joke with all these people and we don't know each other. And we've engaged with Dennis over the years. Like, and Dennis doesn't give a crap. He is a redneck, like gun toe in. Make America great again. There shouldn't be no gay bathrooms for our kids. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. But he's friends with this man. They're friends with each other. And I say, I say to my friend, why don't you block Dennis? Why don't you get rid of Dennis? And he's like, because it's just Dennis. Like, I mean, it's just Dennis being Dennis. He goes, you know, let him, let him argue. And they, you can see them going back and forth, back and forth and back and forth. But even through the text messages, even though you can't hear what they're saying, you can really feel like, look, I love you, man. And I love you, man. But like, you're wrong. It's like, nah, you're wrong. But let's do it again tomorrow. Nobody's going to bed like angry. You know, nobody's like, if that guy, like he's such an idiot, like, he didn't have to remove Dennis because he doesn't let Dennis affect him that way. He's yeah. just like, oh, I mean, that's Dennis, man. And then it's like he <clears throat> he engages debates with Dennis knowing that they'll never, ever agree. Yeah. So I, I learned something from, yeah, I learned stuff watching Dennis in action now. He's a test. Well, you Not know, one I could pass. Well, the, the interesting thing about that I felt that I, I learned from that, that talk was that, um, really being dogmatic is not, cannot be assigned to just one viewpoint, that really any mm. viewpoint can be held dogmatically. And I think like yeah. we had mentioned and we've talked about before, sometimes it's not what you believe, it's how you believe it and how tightly you cling to that belief that really causes yeah. harm. So, um, so we all do our best to try to choose the best things to believe. And that takes some reason and some logic and some, you know, looking at our experiences, but then you got to like, just hold it loosely too. And um, that's really the key is the holding it loosely. So that was sort of what I felt was reinforced to what I, what I have come to know um, through listening to this guy um, speak. And, and I, I guess, I guess the other thing I wanted to mention too was, uh, I, I, just along those lines is that they have done um, lots of studies and trying to find, you know, maybe a, a way that the brain works that has a marker for people who are more dogmatic, or maybe there's a genetic disposition, yeah. or maybe there's, um, it's the way that people were brought up, and they have found no co- strong correlation to any of those things. And that was the thing. I was like, oh, interesting. There's not one. It's all inconclusive. It's all inconclusive. We don't know mm-hmm. what to make somebody dogmatic. We just know that it's not typically a good thing and we need to protect ourselves against being that way. So anyhow. I remember watching I remember watching the January 6th insurrection going, how does this happen? How I mean not and it wasn't just that, but I mean the whole election. I'm just like, how do these people really believe and then when when they lost how do these people how are they out there saying like no trump's still the president and they're and they mean it and i'm like how does this happen and i remember looking up 
like the science behind the brains of republicans so when these guys started talking i was like oh my god like there's a whole lecture on this like because it's the same way we look at you know the evangelical church and go how how can they think like this and you know for them to be like we don't know it's like oh my god like (laughs) but but in the psychology part of and they're talking about how flexible our brain is it was really cool to hear like they um when they were doing studies and they would give somebody tell somebody a memory and they'd make this person recite this memory over and over and over even though it was a false memory it wasn't real mm-hmm. eventually this the study subject would be like no that that really was my memory and they're like well no it was part of our study and they're like no like i remember it happening it then becomes a core memory because they've just told themselves this so now and the parts of the brain that are firing are the ones that are saying like no this really did happen to you so that's scary you know like it is but also makes sense like okay well you can be convinced of something that's true even if it's not right yeah and it's it's, it is scary to think that we are all so open or able to be open to delusions ourselves. Yeah, I, I don't want to believe that I am able to be deluded yet. It's a frightening thought. <laughs> yeah, because so, you want to uh, feel like, oh, I'm in control of my mind. Right. Somebody else shouldn't be able to control it. Right. Yeah. But <clears throat> good times. Um, I would love to hear from those guys again. Free thinkers and humanists. Not, I don't know that they were all even religious. Or, uh, I think most there was like what, 98 atheists. people. Oh, over yeah, 100. I think so too. Yeah, there was a lot there. Yeah. All right, so let's pivot. Okay, we're gonna pivot over, and we're gonna start in slowly for you, <laughs> for all of our friends. <laughs> we're gonna start slowly. So reincarnation. This is something I've been obsessed with forever. I love the idea of it. Um, how? What are your thoughts on reincarnation? Do you believe in it? Do you think it's possible? Well, I mean, I don't rule anything out at this point. I'm open to hearing. Um, I can't, I mean, I've definitely thought about it. I don't really know that I'm holding to a specific view on it at this point. But maybe at the end of this, you might change your mind. I do find it fascinating and I could find, be very interested to hear others' opinions about it. So I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it and what your thoughts are on it. Okay. Have you ever like looked up any stories or seen any videos about like real stories like mm-hmm. or documentaries? Mm-hmm. Have you ever? Okay, you have. Yes. Yes. All right. So for anybody that lives under a rock, no offense, uh, reincarnation is when um, your soul, when you die, your soul moves to another body and comes back to life in this new body, right? So I'm going to share, I'm going to read some, like some of the most compelling ones that I've found over the years. I'm going to read, they're not too long. I made sure that they were like kind of condensed, Cool. but you can look up any of these online. They're, they're like some of the most popular ones that I've seen again and again, and I've studied. And so I, I love this stuff. So this, this is a good one. One of my faves, a Chicago fire victim was reincarnated as a five-year-old boy. 
At first, Erica laughed off her five-year-old son Luke's odd tendency to call toys and objects Pam. She was also unconcerned by his comments about having once been a girl. He would say that he had black hair and when he was a girl, or that he wore the same earrings as his mom when he was a girl. Out of curiosity, Erica eventually asked Luke who Pam was. I was, he said. Well, I used to be, but I died and I went up to heaven. I saw God and then eventually God pushed me back down and then I woke up and I was a baby and you named me Luke. After pressing him for more details, Luke told his mother he lived in Chicago, took the train a lot, and died in a fire. After mentioning his death, Luke made a hand motion indicating someone jumping out of a window. When Erica punched the information into a search engine, she discovered a news story about a fire at the Paxton Hotel in Chicago. In March of 1993, 19 people died in a fire at the building, and a woman, Pam Robinson, perished when she jumped out a window. Erica couldn't explain how Luke would have known about the fire in Chicago. He had never ever been to the city and she never discussed it with him. While the haunting story of Pam Robinson could be a coincidence, it was enough to make Erica believe. John and Florence Pollock were devastated. Oh, whoops, time out. <laughs> That's the next story. So cut. <laughs> and scene. Uh, whoopsie. Anyway, so I like this story because this is one of the simpler ones. And if you explore it a little bit more, they, he does, I think they took him to meet the surviving members of the family and he was able to tell like, oh, that's my sister. That's my brother. Da, 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 that's blah, blah, blah. You know, so that's my favorite part is not when they tell the story, but when they validate these kids' arguments and their babies. So the average time that reincarnation stories are reported mm -hmm. are between the ages of two and five. Mm. So <clears throat> yeah, two and five. And they general 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 oh my god, generally <laughs> geez, they generally forget about their past life, it starts fading about seven to nine years old. Most of them eventually forget it. Um, so it's really the parents that document everything that happens. Like the kids very often draw pictures or they record what they're, you know, what the kid is saying and the research. So it's not just like, oh, this is a fun ghost story. Yeah. So what do you think of that one? That one's pretty tame. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's compelling. I mean, it's a secondhand story. I don't know these people, so I can see how there's a lot of skepticism in it. Um, but I mean, I think it comes down to what do you think about what happens to the soul after the body is done? You know, you know what, yeah. what, what constitutes um, consciousness and um, you know, where does that reside? Is it, you know, does it go away when the body goes away? I mean, we all have this feeling that there's something that survives, right? I think that most of us have this yeah. sense, unless you're just the super rationalist that wants to see, you have proof for everything. Um, so part of me really wants to believe it though. This would be, yeah, it would be cool. 
So here's, here's this one that I started to read by accident. Two sisters killed in a car accident were reincarnated as twins. John and Florence Pollock were devastated when their twin daughters, Joanne and Jacqueline, died in a car accident on May 5th, 1957. The following year, they were thrilled to hear they were expecting, and once again, Florence was carrying twins. The twins, Jillian and Jennifer, were born identical, except for Jennifer's birthmarks. She had a birthmark on her waist, similar to a birthmark Jacqueline had, and a birthmark on her forehead that resembled one of Jacqueline's scars. John and Florence moved away from their old home when their daughters were three months old. John and Florence told Jillian and Jennifer very little about their late sisters, but the girls seemed to share Joanna and Jacqueline's memories. They would request old toys that had belonged to the deceased twins, recognize landmarks when traveling to their parents' former home, and were inexplicably terrified of cars. Upon seeing oncoming traffic, they would shriek, the car is coming to get us. Luckily, by the age of five, these frightening memories mostly faded away. The girls went on to live relatively normal adult lives. However, their story is still frequently cited as evidence of reincarnation. Um, it doesn't say that in this article, but not only did the girls request these old toys from the deceased sisters, mm-hmm. when the mom brought them down, um, they're like, here you go. And they're like, oh, this isn't mine. This is yours. And divvied up the toys because they remembered which ones were theirs and, you know, each one. And that was another really big sign for the parents because they're like, oh, my God. Like, it wasn't a mix and match. It was like, oh, these were Jennifer. These were such and such, right? Mm -hmm. So I liked that one. And the thing about um, the scars is important because, or birthmarks is is important because it is believed in in Indian culture where reincarnation kind of originated. it's believed that if you have a birthmark somewhere prominently, that that's like where you were killed in the past life. Mm-hmm. So like a, a little kid had like a line across his face and apparently he was ax murdered in a past life. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh my, can you see my zoom? I just did that and it gave me, it put a I know. Out. What's the that's deal with that? So... Did you touch the screen really... or not? No, I realized that um, they have added a new feature in Zoom where if you go like this, oh. you are about to raise your hand because probably that's what every old person in the world is doing when they watch Zoom. <laughs> there it is. Right? Oh, so I have to manually funny. lower it. And then if I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. That's so cool. <laughs> I was wondering, because that's happened before, like how that happened, because it didn't look like your hands were close to the screen. <laughs> They're <sense>. not. <laughs> it's an automatic setting that you have to turn off in oh, settings, which I found, I've found recently. So Anyhow. the other thing, uh, <laughs> anyway, and anyway, so um, this brings me to, I'm going to wiggle this in here, twins. Mm-hmm. And so I've also done a lot of studying on twins over the years because twins are such an important part of our, our science um, to map the brain. Um, <clears throat> like 
so many things like social sciences, um, technology, like they've studied twins. It's usually identical twins. I don't want to, I don't want to um, snub the fraternal twins because the fraternal twins are, are the base element to any experiment. Um, so identical twins being very alike, this all ties in. The interesting thing about twins and especially identical twins is they almost their mind and their souls are almost one and not all of them but there are many cases because that's where the the embryo splits right from each other they're made from each other you know okay identical identical twins are made from one cell that splits and then fraternal both just happen to grow together right so we actually have quite a few sets of twins in our family my aunt and uncle are fraternal twins um and we have twins on my sister-in-law's side so we're actually hoping that when max and her get pregnant next time that it's probably going to be or not probably but we're going to hope that it's twins because she wants three babies and he wants two and so that's her like way to like sneak it in (laughs) but my grandmother um so my mom is the oldest Mm-hmm. And my grandmother had a miscarriage after having my mom. Then she had the twins. Now this plays into the reincarnation thing because this is, you would say, like if you got pregnant after a miscarriage, they call it a rainbow baby, right? She had my mom, had a miscarriage, and then had twins. And it's a boy girl set it's fraternal twins so it wasn't made from the same egg so somebody could argue okay well one of those babies is is the the one that passed away now coming back and that's something my grandmother talked about and something she believed she mm-hmm. said i don't she goes i lost the baby but i i believe god gave my baby back to me mm-hmm. um so then you you think that the soul splits? Um, no, no. I think I think one of those babies was planned, and one of those babies was the one that didn't make it. So mm-hmm. let's say her miscarried baby was the boy, mm-hmm. right? She gets pregnant again. So, um, the girl is already being formed, and the boy joins a new egg. That's why they're fraternal. Because the first oh, first I time see. around didn't make fraternal. it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the case yeah. of identical twins, do you think their soul is split? That's in some cases, yes. Really? In some soul? cases, yeah. Huh. There, I was what there was a documentary that I was uh, that I've watched a couple times. It's it's actually you can watch it on YouTube. I think it's called Twin Twin Studies or Twin Science, and it covers every type of twin and their connection their the science the how their minds work and stuff like that um and there was one set where these girls the parents like dressed them separately like and until they were old enough to choose their own clothes they were treated as separate individuals even the parents put them in separate classrooms so that they would have a sense of um of of identity Mm -hmm. as soon as these girls were able to dress themselves they dressed alike they they did not flourish if they were not with each other 
even in the interview, they're, they're shoulder, they're shoulder to shoulder touching. And they explained it. Like, we feel like, like we can't be apart from each other. We are, we're not, they actually wished they were conjoined twins because they felt like they were one person. Yeah. You know what I, what I, a lot of, a lot of the mystics will say that this idea we have of being separate is actually an illusion. Um, and a lot of mystical experiences are one of a unitive consciousness, one that's like sees that we're all one or that we're all connected. So I don't know what that has to do specifically if that has anything to do with the idea of that those twins to really feel that sense of, of connectedness and why that might be but there's it could be both it, yeah. it it could be both it could be that um because their minds are so similar that they um they just have a, a bigger sense of the universe than we do or it could be that and or it could be that they were split in two and and then that begs the question well would that have been an accident because does does god does god make mistakes so if not <clears throat> if our version of god doesn't make mistakes is that how they were supposed to live for a certain reason why was the soul split into two there's a thousand questions to that well yeah, the first one is what, is, <laughs> what who is god what is the nature of God that we can know whether um, right. God is able to make mistakes or not? Um, what's the nature of reality? <laughs> Are there mistakes? I don't know. I mean, yeah. What's the meaning of, of life? <laughs> what's the meaning of yeah. life? What does this all mean? But Where are we going? <laughs> Stay with me, Vic. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm giving you extra existential crisis on yeah. Wednesday. Uh, what's the meaning of this? Is, I mean, well, okay, wait. So first, I want to say, uh, fuck, I lost it. What is the meaning of life? Oh, give me a second. <laughs> give me a second. I'll get back to you on the meaning of life. <laughs> um. God, um, God, hold, hold on a second. Hold on. Yeah, I guess that, does God make, does God make, does God make mistakes? So there's two line of thoughts, right? Okay. Trains of thought. So one, if God makes mistakes, is it God that did it or did, did our souls of it, their own free will rush mm -hmm. into other? Okay. It's such a big question that there's, it's such a big thought process that it's hard to condense into words sometimes. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So a lot of religions believe that reincarnation, especially Christianity, that reincarnation is not a thing. It's not real. It's like right. evil, whatever. But I love hearing the accounts from children because children are so honest, right? And it's, you know, I've seen patterns over the years of reading these stories and internalizing these stories. And a lot of times the kids, and I even said it today, the kids will say, well, God, I went home to God. I went to heaven. So they believe in heaven. I, I met God. So God was there. And then God sent me back. 
Uh You know, so, but then on the ground, Christians are like, that's not a real thing. And this kid's like, well, I just met God and that is a thing and that's what happened. So, you know, so it's, it's interesting. And the same thing with some mediums. Like I watch, uh, I used to watch the Long Island medium and she's a devout Catholic but and you know she was taught that her gift was like a sin early on and then she had to find a way to like make do with it because she's like my gift has to come from god this has to come from god you know mm-hmm. it's just interesting to see what christians reject when i wonder if it's god really trying to be like no this is the thing that happens stop like i'm just this is what happens. And he puts it in the mouth of babes because there's, they're not in anyone's pocket, you know? And, and even, and it even happens with families that are not religious at all, where the kid's like, I met God. Mm-hmm. And the parents are like, we don't even believe in God. And they're like, yeah, I met God. And God sent me here and God sent me back to your belly, which, sorry, I don't have another thought to that. Go ahead. All right. I have a thought. So what if, um, Do it. I'm totally just making this up. I don't really believe one or the other. Okay. But what if there is this, this field of knowledge and experience that kind of transcends over different groups of species, like, um, like, oh my gosh, this this is going to sound weird. Um, Nope. Like as we evolve, somehow the next, the next, um, generation of whatever species it is kind of retains some of the knowledge about like some of the plants they can eat some you know whether that survives in the dna or whether that survives in some other uh, yeah like Bees. how do they how do they know where to, to 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 migrate to or how do they know all of these genetic memory that's a real thing Gen- genetic, genetic memory. memory or yeah whatever so that sort of thing what if there's a, the ideas can also be transmitted oh. so what if you have this idea that over centuries of who god is like that there is this god that there is this um existence of heaven that gets trans you know transferred from generation to generation and that's there in, in your subconscious and your DNA somehow. I mean, that's why the, the images like the of the archetypes really resonate, I think, so strongly with people because there are these images of like, like say that like the idea of the hero's journey, um, the idea of uh, trying to think of some other types of the archetypal figures like for, for the um like the tarot cards right so you have in the the tarot cards you have different archetypal figures like the magician or um or the high priestess or the um i don't know i can't think of all of them now those types of things maybe they resonate with people because they're just ingrained within us somehow so maybe that's what's happening is that these kids are like i had this experience um this is what my brain can put it to i don't know just put that out there for thought. <laughs> That's a good thought. Yeah. That's a good thought in this melting pot of thoughts because it's yeah. just like goulash, this whole thing. But yeah, that's that is that's totally valid because it already exists in our in our in our world, genetic memory. What if it's not past lives? What if it is just someone just old memories passed down? I don't know that there's um, any scientific way to validate whether those types of 
ideas get transmitted over centuries, like different, you know, um, not centuries, but through different uh, generations of people. Uh, that would be, I'd be curious to hear about if there was, but um, it seems like logically that happens because we seem to be building upon our human experiences generation after generation. Don't you think? Don't you feel it? I don't know. Yeah, you know what, because think about this. Let's say, uh, you know, let's say a meteor hits the earth, right? Let's say Walking Dead really happens. Let's say there's a zombie apocalypse and most but not all of the population is wiped out. I always wonder to myself, oh, God, what would we do without scientists and mathematicians? And and like, how would, you know, all these people that took these generations and generations to, to create medicine and operations and all that and now you're left with like me i survived i can't do shit you know <laughs> like i like if i'm when it comes to re restarting yeah humanity can, each one of us can only do so much right yeah we have a yeah. limited so set. I, I watch shows like that too and it begs the question like how fast would humans relearn you know how fast would they recover like you know it took us x amount of years to find the first i don't know to to create to build the first engine how long would it take us if none of us knew how to build an engine of a car how long would it take us to like figure that out and then have a working society again yeah, would it be, be would it be in there yeah i don't know that's a, it's just all a there's a there's a guy named Rupert Sheldrake who isn't quite accepted in the uh, scientific community because he's got this theory of this thing called morphogenic fields, where he postulates that there are these fields over groups of species over groups of even people. Um, that once once a behavior is learned it's in that field and the other individuals within that species or group of people whatever it gets learned quicker the second time and he says that this can be proven and shown and it's really fascinating but he does get a lot of crap from the scientific community and i would suspect that any you know legitimate scientists would be like yeah i don't know about that <laughs> but it's a fascinating <sighs> theory and he has done a lot of his own experiments but um yeah how often is the case that the crazy scientist ends up being right so. and it's all i mean these are you have to have you have to to think outside of the box in order to get anywhere new right you have yes. to bring in that creative element and how do you do that besides thinking of something a little crazy and outside of the box so hey i love exploring these ideas obviously otherwise i wouldn't be sitting here talking with you so <laughs> about this stuff. i know <laughs> Uh, it just keeps me up at night. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm just thinking about all those scientists who it's so sad when they get rejected by a community who your job is literally to hypothesize. Like that's literally your job. And they're like, we don't like what you were guessing about or, or studying. So come on. Right. <sighs> so I have sent you my most shocking of videos and it was about the woman who overheard her kids talking um, about yeah. their own death, right? So 
her little girl is in the living room and she's like goes up to her brother and it's like remember when you ate me and he's like yeah <laughs> kind of laughs about it and then the mom is like what what the hell i'm gonna play it sure. and i'm gonna put it up to the microphone <laughs> because i can't deliver it the same way and it, there's it's so loaded there's so much in it and this is what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode because it's just can ridiculous. you screen share it Ooh, can I? Can you screen share it if I send it to you? Yeah, I already have it. So give me a second and I'll screen share it. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I don't know how to get this in a new, completely new window without showing my texts, but uh, we'll hold on a second here. Oh. If anything weird shows, we won't, we won't do this part. But anyway. You mean the part where I'm like, oh, I'm stoned. You want to add that out? <laughs> all right. Okay. I'm stoned, but here's the vids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Twin A twin. What is the creepiest thing your kid has ever said to you? One day when my youngest is about three or four, in the middle of doing something in the living room, whatever, it was family time, homework, something, but it doesn't really matter. She all of a sudden, out of the blue, told her brother, do you remember when you ate me? And she was dead damn serious. Just dead serious. Here's the funny thing, though. He chuckled, right? Which, you know, it's funny. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, no, hold up. Time out. Time out. When, this, when the fuck did this happen? And she's like, yeah, mom, he ate me. We were really, really hungry. And I thought that we were going to die or something. And he was bigger than me, so he just ate me. But here's the funny part. She was like, but she did the whole little hand thing, too. I didn't want to be born a boy, so it's fine. I got what I wanted. And I'm like, what? Mind you, when I was pregnant with my son, I was actually pregnant with identical twins. Twins run in my family. Multiples run in my family, naturally. Okay. So I was excited, but I couldn't hold food down or what have you to the point that I had to be monitored and I had to be put on um, IV and things of that nature um, multiple times a week just to make sure I got the nutrients and stayed hydrated. And I was doing better. They want to do another ultrasound to make sure that the babies were okay. But when they did it, they only saw one baby and two umbilical cords. Like the other umbilical cord was just hanging there with nothing else. So, you know, being a young new mom, I've watched stuff, right? I've watched TLC Discovery Channel. I was like, oh, did they merge? Like, how is that going to work? And the doctor's like, no, actually, that happens way earlier. Um, they did not merge. He's like, this happens rarely, but it does happen. And I'm like, what? He tells me, he's like, well, remember, you were had to be um, monitored and put on IV and all that because you weren't getting as much nutrients that you should to for you and the baby. It's like, yeah. He's like, well, it seems like this, the surviving child ate the other child. And I was like, like a damn shark? He was like, yeah, like like a shark. Yeah, that 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 sums it up. I was like, so what the hell? Like, do we need to do blood tests? He's like, no, it's fine. I mean, this baby is nice and healthy and big. I was like, oh, okay. But I never told my children that. I never told any of my children until that day that's when I told them that story like never told them any of that I was like yeah so sit down we need to have a conversation and my youngest she knew exactly she's like yeah I know 
my my son he kind of he he's a boy he doesn't talk a lot about that stuff but he knew but that's the funny part she knew everything and she was happy to come back as a girl so there you go i say what was your first thought when i sent you that <laughs> i didn't know where you're going with it <laughs> that's what i was wondering you were like what is she what rabbit hole is she down tonight what i don't understand is how can a baby eat another baby they don't have that that's exactly what my mom said swallow it i don't know it's weird i'm I'm telling my mom this story last night i'm like mom can you believe this and i'm playing it for her and she goes how does a baby eat another baby and i was like (laughs) she goes they don't have teeth and I'm like, oh my God. So of course I look it up. Yeah. Can a twin eat the other twin? <laughs> and there's something called vanishing twin syndrome where, you know, at some point, if, if one of the twins is malnourished or doesn't have enough nourishment, it can be, it will pass away and then just be reabsorbed into the body. But the umbilical cord will will remain. So mm-hmm. it'll just be like, like she said, they're not 100% sure if that's the real answer to that or, or if, you know, it kind of counts as a miscarriage and you pass it and you don't even realize it really. Mm-hmm. But there is such thing called vanishing twin syndrome. And essentially, um, like he wasn't like chomping away at her, but if she if she was reabsorbed into the womb then whatever nutrients she had in her body would then go to his body because you get your nutrients you know that way whatever so while i was listening to this though so my mom had the same reaction you did how'd that happen but (laughs) but when i first watched it i was like when the girl said well that's okay because i wanted to be a girl i was like wait a minute I like sat up in bed. I'm like, what if that is what, how transgender people have come about? Mm-hmm. Like, what if two scenarios? What if one, you're the rainbow baby and you're sliding in whoop, over the rainbow into the new egg to come back, but you didn't you know, maybe the soul was like rushing and it didn't check and boom, you picked a girl egg, but really you wanted to be a boy egg, but see that girl, she even said, I got my way. I wanted to be a girl anyway. So do they not have a choice? And then when they end up in their body, they just never let go of like, no, I used to be a girl. I want to be a girl in this life. And they change their body to match that feeling. I wonder if. Like, what? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, there's so much attached to the idea of gender, too. Like, is is it? I know. Is it it social? Is it just physical? Is it what is it that that soul is expecting to? I don't know. I mean, we need to have a transgender person come. And talk about this. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> That's a great idea. 
Yeah. Yeah. No. And but the other the other thing is like because the idea of more than one gender apparently has been around for ever. So Native Americans and um, I think in Asian cultures also like androgynous people or hermaphrodites who have both. I don't I don't know if that's still the acceptable phrase. I'm sorry if it's not, but um, those those cultures embrace it. They're like, yeah, there's a third there's a third gender in in. uh, I just found this out today because I was in one of my dating apps (laughs) And somebody listed themselves as two spirit, two dash spirit. Oh, interesting. I was like, what, what is that? Yeah. I thought, well, does that mean you're bisexual? Does that mean, like, what does that mean? So I looked it up and it is uh, a term and a native American term to explain to Westerners that they're neither male or female. They feel that they're, I guess, gender fluid, but they had their own word for it years, you know, millions, thousands of years ago, they had their own word for it. And so they accepted that, that in that culture, it was accepted that it it really wasn't like just man and woman. So this concept of man and woman is, uh, is newer as well. Also carried with religion. It's exhausting. Religion kind of threw a huge monkey wrench into society all over the place. Okay. Like how, why, what, what, what makes you say that? Like, what do you think religion did to society to change it so much that you're referring to? Like, uh, so in Greece also, it was widely accepted for many, many years to be, um, to live a gay lifestyle. And it was very common, like Socrates, all those guys, whatever. Um, and then when religion came in, they kind of bastardized it. And when I say religion, I, I mean Christianity. They kind of bastardized that. And it became unacceptable. You know, you read the book and, and you hear the clobber passages like marriage is between a man and a woman. God made, you know we're made in God's image and that's man or a woman and Sodom and Gomorrah and Leviticus and blah, 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 you know, where they're all those, all those goodies. And when I say clobber passages to anyone that doesn't know, there's seven or eight passages in the Bible that most um, Baptists will, or people that believe this will revert to when talking about how being gay is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, However, those same passages have also been interpreted in different ways. Um, I've never heard that term before, though. Clobber passages. Is that like a real, like, pass- that's yeah. what people refer to them as? Oh, yeah. Especially in um, open and affirming churches, if you use that term, they'll recognize it. That's really important, I feel like, for <laughs> evangelicals to, to, to get an experience and, and, and know what it is that other people are are saying about what they're doing to them. So I, I would really love for, because I would have loved for myself to have heard that as an evangelical. Look, these people, there's this group of people who say that you're using clobber passages <laughs> to clobber them with your ideas and your expectations of them. And that's how they feel when you present that to them. Instead of just gently giving them the truth like you think you're doing, 
you're clobbering them. And that's horrible. Sorry, the mailman's outside. And my dog is, she wants to scream. Um, I have a really good story for that, actually. I can give you a partial answer to that. Okay. Because in 2019, when I was at the Baptist Evangelical Church, I had a friend who I knew since, actually, she was my ex-girlfriend, but she's now married um, to a woman with, and they have two little kiddos. And she wanted to, she was watching all the posts about my church. And she's like, well, you know, I'd love to come to your church. But her wife wouldn't let her. She was like, no, like I, I looked up their doctor and like, it's not cool. She can't go there with you. And I thought, well, I don't want her to lose out on Jesus because Jesus has changed my life. And regardless if she goes to my church or another church, I just want to make sure she had the opportunity to meet Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. That was my mindset. So the only place I knew was uh, a church that the church that I go to now because it had rainbow, it had a rainbow flag outside. And I thought, well, obviously that's going to be okay. So, um, I brought her with me. So let just real quick, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. So keep going, but, but that seeing the rainbow flag for people who are, who are homosexual or bisexual, they see that as a place of being, they know that they're safe there. Correct. It's a beacon. It's a beacon of safety. Uh-huh. Because in go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no I'd like to hear you. If if you um, if that doesn't show up, like if you don't see a rainbow flag, what is your first initial thought when you see a church and you're part of that community? Do you initially go, I'm not gonna be accepted there? Um I personally expect to be met with resistance, however. I, and this is just me personally, I always hold the hope that maybe they'll be accepting, which is what happened at the last place, because they acted like they would be accepting, but they really weren't. It was cloaked in something more like they were trying to change me. But <clears throat> for me, it's, it's not, okay, it's this one way, it's proceed with caution. Okay. And, and it's something that I say to the, to the group I'm in now, I tell them, like, I didn't know there were churches that were okay with gay people. I didn't think any church was ever okay with gay people. So when I decided to go church hopping four years ago and look for a new faith, I expected, I really did expect to be driven out eventually, but I just wanted, I wanted that same feeling of God. I wanted I felt a connection to God. My, I told you my mom is agnostic. She does not believe in God. I didn't really have other than my aunt. I just, I always had this connection. So I know that that's real. And I know that the spirit is real. And I wanted a place to learn about it. But I had to like mentally prepare myself that if I go into a place like that, I need to also know that if I tell them who I am, I run the risk of being kicked out or even being hated on. And ultimately that is what happened. But even though I knew about this church with the flag, I didn't know anybody there, but because I was, I was now ingrained in my, in my Baptist church, um, I felt like the need to bring 
my friend to Jesus was more important than my fear of going to a place that I didn't know. So we went together. We sat in the very back row with her little baby. Um, and I had my friend Shannon with me and, and Shannon was the one that came with me to the Baptist place first, because I I wasn't going to walk in a place. I didn't really know. We knew one person there, but she couldn't get out fast enough because their model was very old fashioned singing in a hymnal, um, you know, in hardwood pews, huge organ. It was beautiful. Um, but we were used to the rock and roll. We were used to like crying and hands and, you know, we were used to a whole different culture. So we're like, this is cute, but like we missed the party, you know, mm-hmm. but I, you know, so she booked, she's like, this is feels too Catholic. I got to go. And she's not even gay. So that's on her religious trauma, just from, mm-hmm. you know, whatever she went through. And a lot of, for straight people, a lot of their religious trauma is having a child out of wedlock. So sure. Yeah. Um, when we went, I grabbed the pastor after the sermon. I said, Hey, I'm not looking to leave my church, but I would really love to know how you guys became um, accepting of uh, give me, I, I, even back then I was like, I need a resource to bring back to my church to show them like, Hey, here's some religious people that said, this is okay. And she was like, hang on. I have a book in my office. So she went in her office and she came back with a book called the eight clobber passages. And it was like, it was thin. It was like this thin and it breaks down every passage where it is in the Bible, the context, the interpretation, the culture of the time and what those things meant. Right. Mm -hmm. Which was super, super enlightening. And as I read them, I said, well, thank you so much. Do you, you know, would you like me to bring the book back? She's like, no, you can keep it. And, um, she's like, you know, you can always come here. And I was like, well, no offense. This is not my gig now Mm -hmm. I'm there, but, um, you know, I was like, no, I just, I would really love to help another church get to this place. That was back when I had hope for them before I knew that's when I was innocent and naive and I didn't know any better. 2019 was the best year of my life, right? I was living on cloud nine. I had this awesome church family, this church life. So I, I held on to that book for years. And last year, um, right before I left, I had, you know, I had reread it and reread it. And I just thought, well, what if they saw, what if they, what if they knew, and I couldn't think of many people that I would share that book with. In fact, I was afraid to share that book with people because I thought they would um, think that I was trying to uh, divide the body. I had this one fr- friend, the deacon, I always call her the deacon, um, who knew me before, knew me before church, and knew me, watched, was hand in hand with me through my whole journey, knew everything. I said, I have this book and I would really like you to read it, but I don't want you to tell anybody that you have it. And she goes, well, I have to tell my husband. And he's like, the thing is, I felt like she was kind of, I feel like I had a chance to reach her. 
nobody else. I felt like I could reach her because she had that respectful disagreement. Like we had respectful disagreements and respectful whatever. So she goes, are we going to have a discussion after I said, um, no, I don't want to discuss it after. Um, she goes, okay, so I don't have to make notes. She was prepared to read and contradict each passage. So she, so I brought it to her. I even, um, remember when you're a kid and you had book covers, you like use the newspaper and made a book cover. I, I folded up a piece of newspaper and made a book cover to bring it to church. Like it was cocaine or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and I had gone back and forth and this is when I had, this is around the time I asked the pastor like, Hey, if I got a girlfriend, would you ask me to leave? And he was like, yeah. Uh, But I was like, I just want you to see. And she was, I'm sure I've heard it all before, before I even read the book. That's what she said. And I was like, she goes, but I'll read it for you because I love you. Mm-hmm. I said, I hope, I hope this helps you understand who I am. Yeah. And so this, like I said, this was written right near the end. I'll tell you what, she never gave me that book back. Oh, really? Um, no. And I think she did that on purpose. Um, like I, I visited a couple times before we broke off and I was just like, oh, hey, do you have that book? She's like, oh yeah, it's somewhere. Uh, I didn't think she wanted me to have it back um, because knowledge is power, right? So uh, I remember asking her, I'm like, did you read that book? And she goes, yeah, I read it. Huh. She goes, but you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to discuss it. So I can't really tell oh. you why. I can't really tell you why yeah. the book is wrong. Oh. I can't tell you why the book is wrong. She didn't look at that and go, wow, this is. Yeah what no they had an actual uh uh uh, rehabilitated lesbian pastor who was now straight uh uh, come and talk come and talk to the congregation and this woman spat out like stat after stat heartbreaking Mm -hmm. and i thought if these people can't I mean, that woman was like to prove how sad it is to be a gay person and how they just want to kill themselves all the time. Yeah. And my, my point was like, bitch, we want to kill ourselves because we don't get, we're being rejected by our support system. So I gave her those clobber passages. I was like, and I, I can't imagine what she, what her notes would have been, but the, the short answer was, there could be scientific proof there. Jesus could calm down off a cloud today mm-hmm. and say, Hey girl, this is what I actually meant. And it's okay. And she'd be like, you're fake. And they'd probably crucify him again. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, that's, that's the definition of, of, of approaching a belief dogmatically, right? There's a, there's some sort of a Buddhist parable about, and I'm going to, probably butcher this, but there's, um, there was a, uh, a man whose family died in a fire and he found the remains of a, of a small child and thought, this is my son. My son has died and he mourned his loss and was very sad. Um, 
But in actuality, what had happened was his son did survive and was taken care of in another city for years until he grew up. And um, until he and the son finally made his way back to his father's house and knocked on the door and said, Father, Father, please let me in. It's, it's been a long time and I want, I want to see you. And the man inside said, go away. This is a cruel joke. You know, leave me alone. My son is dead. And this, this young man kept knocking on the door. No, it's really me. I'm alive and I want to see you. And the father is like, no, my son is dead. I saw it. My son is dead. And finally, um, you know, he refused to let him in and the young man left and went away and they were never able to be reunited. And it's kind of a parable of the way that we can get so fixed on what we think we know to be true, that even when the truth comes and knocks at the door, telling us what's there and in announcing itself, we're unable to accept it or acknowledge it. And that's just full circle seminar that we this week. People can hide those memories. People make a non-belief a non because they decided so right it's our brains complex and we use a quarter of our brains like there's so much you wonder like yes our brain can be very deceitful but I can kind of also tap in to some really in truths too so is it true or is it false is it false is it true is there god or is it just our brain is it is it is it what's the meaning of life (laughs) (laughs) oh no we're back to this again (laughs) yeah that's our whole gig is this right Um, i know the things that keep us up at night why are we doing the things that we're doing I know. I just. Why are we here? Why was I telling you about the clobber passages? Because you were telling me about sending your friend to the church with the rainbow flags. Oh, yeah, because you were asking me how to decide what churches to go to and what the flags mean. And right now, there's a great debate. A great debate within the church that I'm at about the banners. Now the flag is gone. There's some metal bolted banners. Yeah. Just big ones all to the side of the church. Two of them. And yes. Boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're here. We're queer. Get yes, no, eh. So I think what people on the outside think is that it's just like a church full of gay people it's known as the gay church yeah i've heard people refer to it like that before i've referred to it like that (laughs) (laughs) my doctor even i was like yeah i go to this place and they're like oh the gay church i'm like yep that's me (laughs) well when i walked in there i was like oh this place is gonna be crawling with lesbians and flamboyant men and uh that is not that is not the fact that is not the truth (laughs) i have just as many options to find my soulmate in this church as I did at the last one. It's like, there's like two gay people there. Right. Um, 
That's so interesting. So they, they go through this process called, I, I've been learning, I learned a little bit about it and I'll probably stumble over you know, things, but there's a process called the open and affirming uh, process, I guess, within that, that church they had to go through in order to, yes. Uh, I, I don't, I don't really know if it's like a, a full-blown blown process and then they can put a statement on their website. I don't understand it. So maybe you can explain it more. As soon as I figured out, this is where I wanted to, oh, that's what we were talking about. Why I had to leave my last church. I, I just being a gay person trying to learn about Jesus. So when I decided to go to this new place, even though they had the rainbows out front, mm-hmm. I was like, I still don't know. It, you have that leftover, like, what if they don't want me either feeling, you know? And so I did research on the church. So apparently in 1996, two of the Methodists, who I now know, both of them, I, I, I got straight from their mouth, went to a retreat or something or a conference about welcoming and what it means to welcome people into the house of God. and. On their drive back, they were like, you know what? We need to add more people. Like, we're missing out on people. So they came back to the church. And in our church specifically, it is a democracy. They have a voting system. They have president, vice president, board of directors, whatever. So it's up to their congregation. They pitched this idea to the congregation. They're like, hey, we want to include people officially. We want to officially be able to say if you're gay straight bye blah 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 come on in mm-hmm. and as you can imagine there was some uproar because it just wasn't done just it's just synonymous like if you're gay you probably are not going to want to go into a church like as a gay person um they just assume they're not wanted in, in any church so yes you had your people that were mortified or whatever but apparently most of them, obviously, most of them were like, you know what, we should. Let's, let's, let's go through this process. It took them 20 years. Oh, wow. Uh, no, no, it didn't. I'm lying. Uh, 1996, they became officially open and affirming in 2002. Oh, okay. Which is not, not 20 years. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Oh, it took, I I know why I said that. So 1996 was the very first conversation to 2002 when they officially came out as open and affirming. Mm -hmm. They didn't put anything rainbow outside. They just, they just had it in their mission statement, which is something that I, I love about them too, because what we're working on our mission statement right now is land acknowledgement, how we've taken land from our, our indigenous tribes. Mm-hmm. Just just to have it out there for record. Um, so it took them until 20, it took them, then it took about 20 years to get them to have, it started with a tiny little sticker underneath the name of their, it was like a thin, thin strip, this long, mm-hmm. probably a foot, to let people know that you could, like, hey, psh, in case you didn't read our documents, We'll let you in. Mm-hmm. And then it, it graduated to the flag, which um, when they started, I know they lost people when they first became open and affirming because they were like, this isn't our church, blah, 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 bye. 
then they had some people that were on the fence. And then when the, the flag went up, they lost some people because now it's now everyone can see, oh, if I'm going into that church and it has a gay flag, people are going to think I'm this or that or whatever. So they lost some people there. When the banners were bolted to the side of the building, <laughs> um, they were pissed. There's, there's a small group of them that are still pissed. There's a group of them that have left. And those banners have been up now for two years. They're still fighting about it. <laughs> but, but the majority of those people there are happy that they're there, that they are fighting for a place where everyone can come and learn about God. People that were in my situation, my literal situation, which I plan to talk about during Pride Week, because I'm going to be allowed to talk about being gay in a church, in a church. That's great. To yeah. a congregation. Yeah, that yeah. is great. Um, it's, it's a beautiful thing because it, you know, you shouldn't have to be, you shouldn't have to decide. How does that make you feel to finally like that, that difference in feeling between um, hiding who you are at the other church and then being able to speak about your experiences in this other church? What's the difference in feelings for you? Oh my God. Um, Huge. I, I never was quiet about it in the last place, but I was never like the leaders knew and my friends knew, but I, I wasn't like, I didn't talk about it a lot because they could have taken me out of ministry because if someone complained, but here it's bittersweet because so much damage was done um, that to be authentic in this place is refreshing and nice and scary and because it because of what happened you still have that fear that it could happen again for some other reason even though it's not logical Mm -hmm. even though your thoughts are not logical it's just that being having to protect your identity and protect your morality because they always, you know, it always comes down to if you're a moral person and moral people don't love yeah. people of the same sex or whatever, you know, um, to not have to argue that I'm still getting used to that. I still, even when I'm writing emails or having conversations, I preface and I give a disclaimer and I'm like, well, you know, like, just so you know, and I don't really have to do that, but it's just, you mean, you, it's have just to left feel like over. you have to let people know that you're bisexual um or you have to what what do you have to let people know yeah that i'm part of the community i i want them to know here i do i want them to know i wrote a message to the board introducing myself um and that's what i started out with i'm like hi i'm new i'm a bisexual female And I am in this congregation because I want to keep learning about God and learning about Jesus. And I want to thank you for allowing me to do that. So it's important for me to let those people know, especially the ones that like me, just so you know, 
I'm a product of what you've done over the years. Me being in this church, singing with you or praying with you or just taking communion with you, me getting to be part of God's kingdom is because you allowed me to, because not everywhere will allow me to do that. And so I think it, I think it's important for them to see and hear because of the opposition, because of the people that, that want to, um, that want to take the banners down and take that stuff out. It's, it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's validation for them that they did the right thing and that it wasn't for nothing. I, I am here and I'm, you know, and some of the other people who have been there for a long time who are LGBTQ, like, they're frustrated that people are still bitching about the banners and stuff. And I understand that frustration, but at the same time, like they're still there and they only got bigger over the years. People got loud and bitched about it, but like, they're still there. Mm-hmm. They've been there for two years and people have been complaining about it. Yeah. They're still there. Every day that I drive by that, it says, Hey, you're allowed to be a child of God here yeah. as you are. Well, you know, not broken and it's not a mistake. There's, there's, um, in some other churches that aren't, aren't quite as, as bold as the one that you're attending. Um, there is often this hesitancy to eat while, while they might be, um, completely accepting of homosexuals or other sexual identities coming to church to worship with them. They have a problem with putting out a flag or any open signs because they feel like um, that's for all sorts of reasons. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons there that they're not willing to confront or accept as being a real reason, but they would say that they don't want to exclude other people. They don't want to, they accept everybody. So why would they just put out that they accept only this, these people, um, so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fight over that and struggle over what the purpose of putting a flag for is for. And so it's nice to hear your, your experience and why that is such a comforting thing for you to see and to have experienced and to know that it's safe to go to that church. It's the same reason why, when my mom says, why do people have to put Black Lives Matter sign up? I'm like, because black people need to know that they matter. Yeah. And so every time somebody goes, all lives matter, but you don't treat all lives the same. Gay people in a church matter, but you're not saying that. In fact, you're saying the opposite. When you're asking someone to leave, when George Floyd dies under a man's knee, that's actions are the opposite. So you can say what you want to say, but those banners are an action. And the other part of that is the same reason we don't talk about Bruno, because back in the day, you didn't talk about your problems. You didn't talk about things that were taboo. Sure, we'll, we'll let you into our church because we want God in like, okay, but don't, don't talk about it and don't, don't be flamboyant about it. And my, my own mother has said that to me and she's like, well, I don't like, I don't like the women that are really butch. And I was like, well, and what happens if I come in here and I have like a nice manly woman? She goes, that's yeah. going to be gross. And I'm like, she goes, why do you have to flaunt it? I'm like, 
it's not about it's wanting about, it. It's, it's just, just about, about being, being who you are. Right? That person wants short hair. That person wants to wear men's jeans. You're wearing men's jeans right now because you don't have any hips. She's like, well, that's different. It's not. It's not different. Mm. So, you know, the people that are like, oh, yeah, you can come in here, but don't talk about it is the same feeling of it, it might as well be a Baptist church because you're not, you're not accepting me. If you're letting me into your church, but you don't want people to know that you let gay people into your church, then it might as well be the same thing. It feels the same. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So those people that are saying that, keep it a secret. They don't really, they don't, they're not ready to. There needs to be more yeah. bold um, acknowledgement of, of the differences between the more progressive churches and the evangelical churches, because the evangelical churches are voices so loud in this country. It is so yes. loud and so well organized and yes. so, yes. um, so well uh, just communicated that there needs to be a loud opposing voice saying, no, there is another expression of Christianity that does accept this. And here's why, and it has to be loud and it has to be bold. Otherwise it's going to be lost. And sadly, that's what's happening is that people are getting turned off of Christianity period because all they hear is that one side and that one voice that's the loudest. And it's, it's a, it's a real shame that people are missing out on the, the beauty and the gifts of Christianity because of that. Well, then that goes back to what we were talking about last week when I said to you, I had that feeling, oh, <clears throat> excuse me, I had that feeling coming into this place like gung-ho, like I want to be that big, loud voice. I want to be that person that like pushes these guys with their idea forward. I want people to know about them. But then am I fighting fire with fire? Because now that's that line back to the line yeah. where am I acting like them to beat them not beat them but in a way we do need to beat them because yeah. they are loud so if I go out yeah. and do the things that they do and I conduct myself the way they do and I is it fake or is it like mm. is it authentic because I I really do want to get my congregation together and do more things with the kids and I really loved I really loved the things that we did as a church with the Baptist. It was fun. It gave us an opportunity to be together and get to know each other, be part of each other's lives and learn about God. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, on the other hand, sometimes we feel like, well, is that, is that fake? Is it all show? Is it theater? Is it, you know, and maybe some of it is, but at the same time, like it was a fun show. It just had a shitty plot, you know? Well, I think, I think when it comes to, um, trying to define that, you know, where that line is between standing up for and being loud and not, if you want to say fighting, I don't know, or, or showing up as the opposition or a different voice to another side. Cause I know you, um, I think that where the fine line is, um, and it, it can be well stated and something that Bishop Michael Curry from the Episcopal church, something I read in a book of his where he described um, his um, his own fight for he, he's a he's a black man trying to, to stand up for um, for uh, black people and their right to exist and thrive within um, different communities 
and their 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 issues it was him describing it as um, standing while kneeling so you have this this opposition where you you are taking a stand but in this position of humbleness of not in a in a in a a way that's that's you're gonna confront them and you're gonna you're gonna win you know it's it's kind of like your intentions behind it it's to stand for something that is truly you feel is right but standing it's the way you're standing not in this like punch them down kind of way but in a this is me and I belong here and it's good <laughs> I don't know does but that then make sense are we bring yeah, it does. But then does it mean that we're bringing a sword to a gunfight? Like in yeah. the end, it kind of is mm -hmm. to unchurched people. It is a fight. We have to prove that we're here. We can't. It's mm -hmm. hard to be. It's like when the Indians were trying to defend their honor and their land against the colonists. Like they were right. humble and they had they had primitive tools and they That's didn't want to fight. Yeah. But if they didn't fight, because they were not as aggressive, they're wiped out. Right. That's a really good point. And sadly, it is something that happens over and over again, right? So, so part we, of me wants yeah. to be aggressive because I don't yeah. want these guys to be wiped out. And their right. numbers are and not just them, but like you told me last week that the progressive churches, their numbers are dropping because the people that are progressive are nice. They won't mm -hmm. cheat and lie and steal and cut uh, things in half to get their end result. They're the nice guys. And the nice guys, they finish last because they don't fight dirty. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying I want to come in there and start like throwing sucker punches but mm -hmm. i want to come in and be like show them how to be loud i guess i don't know mm -hmm. yeah i don't know how to do that but also be loud and righteous at the same time i know carolyn if you figure that out <laughs> let me know because <laughs> i feel like that's that's my thing i feel like all i've done my entire life is sit and be quiet when i disagree i shut up and i'm quiet and i but but then i feel I don't know where that line is between standing up and being like, hey, this is not okay with me and and not getting so in this tizzy and like angry and upset like this uh, get, getting into that state. How do I keep my peace while still standing? You know, how do I not being let myself get all worked up and angry? I want to be calm. I want to be at peace while still standing my ground firmly and confidently and loudly. And I don't know how to do that. So if you can teach me, man, teach me. <laughs> I don't know. Well, being angry, being angry and, and wanting peace and calmness, I totally understand that. So, and I think you see it when I start to spiral when I'm having bad days or a bad week or something is like, you, I'm peaceful and calm and good and happy most days, but on the days that I'm not, I feel like such a failure. Like I couldn't hold it together. I got mad at this. I, I had my road rage or I yelled at this person, but, but anger is part of our emotions too. And it's okay to be angry in, in relation to things that are happening that are not right. It's okay to be angry about the Ukraine. It's okay to be angry about people discriminating. It's okay. What's not okay the line, the line is integrity. Don't alter your integrity 
in your anger. Don't Mm -hmm. stoop to someone's level. You can be mad and say what you're doing is wrong. And you can feel that anger inside of you, but don't sit there and be like, Hey, bitch, fuck you. You're wrong. I hate you. Your face is ugly. Well, that's now you've crossed the line. Like you're attacking for the wrong reasons and you're attacking the wrong way. Yeah. So you can be loud and aggressive, but also as long as you keep it clean in your mind, your, your opinion is not an insult. An insult is an insult, right? Mm -hmm. That's really good. You need to say that again. Your opinion (laughs) is not an insult. That's really good. Look at me. It's right. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's your opinion. Right. It might be insulting to somebody else. Yeah. Like if I say, wow, I think all such and such act this way. I mean, it's, it's insulting, but it's just my opinion. That doesn't mean it's right. You know? So even if you're a hundred percent wrong, I mean, that's just your opinion. So yeah. You know, don't attack somebody based on cheap shots. Attack them with facts. Attack them with, you know, knowledge and and understanding. And eventually you'll be able to argue that and not let it get you that angry. I, over the years, I've gotten in a million fights and it's taken me years and years and years to regulate how I fight now, the number one rule, and I've told every person I've ever been with, when we get a fight, you may never call me a name and you may not swear at any point. Swearing's for fun. (laughs) So (laughs) if I call you a little bitch, it means we're joking. Mm -hmm. If you look at me and you're angry and you call me a bitch, we have a huge problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. it's your intent. And it's, if you, if it's something that you truly believe in and something, uh-oh, uh-oh, where'd you go? I got a phone call and it's connected to my iPad. Oh. <laughs> so if you, shit, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> about, oh, about not, not calling somebody a bad name when you're fighting. Yeah. You, if, if you make it about, if you're just defending yourself and your point, it should just look like a, a debate, a heated debate, even. Yeah. <sighs> There's your answer. All right. You can All right. check that off the list. All right. Now You're allowed gotta, to be angry. I got to be, I got to practice it now. I'm allowed to be angry. You're allowed. That's good. That's good permission. You're allowed to be angry. You're not allowed to be mean. There you go. Yeah. I think you can be I, angry. I don't, I, I don't no. know that I could be mean. I think maybe I need to practice being <laughs> mean sometimes. You can be mean to me. I can take it. I, I can like take it because I know you don't mean it. <laughs> oh, anyways. Well, <laughs> I've got to so get that. So that's up. today. Yeah. That, you got to get what? I got to pick up my kids in seven minutes. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> How far away are they? Seven minutes right, away? Right down the road. I have to leave in seven minutes oh. just to go get them. So, oh, yeah, okay. We're good. Well, but. that's fine. I, I think that's everything for today. I think it was a good talk. I mean, I love stories of reincarnation. Uh, I, I would totally suggest that you got, that you look up um, the boy who was reincarnated from Titanic. That's okay. a really good one. Okay. And then there's another little boy who used to be a 
fighter pilot in the war and was killed in the war and he can tell you it would look like your son's room like planes and he could tell you what every part of the plane was though never had learning about it the kid that came back from titanic um they he believes his family believes he's mr andrews the architect um he knew things that were not really known to the public I'd be curious to know, like, I, this is the kind of conversation I would love to have with a group of people is where is the soul located? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is the nature of consciousness? And that type of thing. I just would love to hear what people have to say in the different thoughts, because then it plays into, you know, how we interpret this, this, um, what do they call it? Just, uh, it's a type of data when people just talk about it. It's a when it's just on on the unloading no and it's just hearsay kind of these these stories floating around it's not like data sets from a scientific study oh um, yeah oh i don't know they can't remember the term for it now but we have a lot of these types of of stories um and what does it point to and but answering those questions kind of helps us interpret the those stories so we could do a live where we just talk for hours because then I would love to do a live session with like, just open it up to people and talk yeah. about certain things. That'd be fun. And, play, and just bounce off their ideas and their what ups. Yeah. That would yeah. be cool. I wonder if anybody could would talk that. to us. Yeah. We have to work on our like recording schedule. That's the hard part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'd have to probably do it on a weekend. So okay. any hopes. So that's it for today. You need to get your children from their school life. Yeah. And it's a beautiful day. It is and beautiful. we're alive. And we're happy and good. Mm-hmm. Thank you for bringing up all those uh, neat topics. It was fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I hope it uh, got your gears going for today. Totally. This is, this is the kind of stuff I just lay awake at night thinking about mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. Okay. Well, we'll see you on the next one, Faith. Have a great day. <laughs> you too. Let's see if I can get it to show. Mine doesn't work. Put it put, put it up like against the background of your like cabinet over there. You see how mine's over here on my cabinet? There you go. I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to do it wait. manual. It's not going to do it. Oh, try this. <laughs> Raise your hand. It doesn't work. Oh, man. <laughs> You need to update your software. Apparently. <laughs> okay. Anyway, all right. All right. I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Big cut.